Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Laura Laker. I'm Adam Tranter. And I'm Ned Bolting. For once, not doing the introduction, that's going to be Laura today. Quite looking forward to how this is going to go. Did it. This time we are talking about online disinformation with Armil Khan, founder of Valent, a company that deals with disinformation by understanding who is behind it, what methods they use and who they seek to manipulate. I came across you because I saw a piece about ULES and a disinformation campaign that had paid £168,000 to spread kind of negative messaging around the introduction of ULES, which happened this summer and was quite, well, contentious. And so I thought it'd be interesting to talk to you about what you do and how you came to do it. This sounds mad. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, it was totally mad yeah. and it continues to be mad. Yeah. So story, this is yeah. yeah this is quite a long running thing for you. So you were a journalist before you founded this company. You worked for the BBC and Reuters, and you first encountered disinformation during the Arab Spring, which was in the 2010s. Yeah, and then you did some kind of work for Chatham House and the government, and then you were looking around for a company that did basically what you're doing now, and, and it didn't exist. And then and then you decided to start your own company. Yeah, that was exactly it. And the reason was well, company or think tank or somebody who is some entity that was working in a practical way on the issue of technical manipulation. So Mm. there were a lot of people working on fact-checking. And I just thought there's nothing on on technical manipulation, which seemed Mm. to be really the issue to me. Mm. And that's what I spent time writing about and researching. And that's the kind of mechanics behind, it's generally on social media, right? It's the kind of mechanics behind spreading so it's not generating the lights how do you replicate how do you how do you spread the light yeah i think there's something when we when there's a lot of stuff about disinformation misinformation and it's almost a victim of its own success because there's people talk about it so much that all the terminology sort of gets muddled up and there's no kind of real sort of structure to what the issue is misinformation means something specific which is where you spread wrong information but in a way that your intent is honest 
disinformation is you're spreading false information dishonestly. Oh, okay. So the difference is between, mm. say, seeing something on a WhatsApp group and thinking, oh, that seems worrying and sharing it without necessarily realising that it's false. And that's kind of misinformation. Yes. Whereas disinformation is more what you look at, which is companies kind of tweaking things, uh, well, false, spreading falsehoods. So you could drill down a bit further. We look at technical manipulation. Mm. So that means are people using, when we say technical, are they manipulating accounts, the way accounts share? So are they using special bits of software that you can't actually buy in the open market that control loads of accounts to trick the algorithms on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and essentially make something way more viral, way more popular than it would have been in reality? Yeah, so you like some you get you do a post, <laughs> gets loads just, of likes, you might, and it gets you might see up. this on video because we're trying to record it. But if you don't see it on video, Ned's <laughs> mind has just been blown, and his eyes are just totally. Emoji oh, I've just got so many questions about this. But anyway, the special bits of kit that you can't buy that manipulate the algorithm. I want one of them. You can buy it with Bitcoin. Oh, oh really? Oh, Owner with Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> okay, right. Wow. Anyway, so go on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so you you kind of discovered this was happening. Well, you've discovered this was happening with various things, and um, and one of the things you you and your team were interested in was ULES because obviously it was a huge deal. So a lot of social media chat around it, a lot of news pieces, big politically as well with the um, by election in North London, and um, yeah. So what happened? Well, we're, we are, as a company, the way we work is that we are content agnostic. So we look at the manipulation rather than the content. So whereas a fact checker would look at the issues and say, is it true, is it not true? We look at the activity that's happening behind the information. So we keep, as a company, we are really heavily tech-based. So the way we work is that we get lots of different contracts, we do lots of different work, we make software, we use it, people use it pay us for it. We save about 20% of our capacity for passion projects, essentially. Like, what do we work on stuff that we think is important for a start, just in terms of what's happening in society, but also what is the methodology out there that we find really troubling, fascinating? I think we should look at it to keep our skills up, you know, like new ways of doing things are constantly being developed. And Euler's was one of those. So it was clearly something that was a big national conversation, even though it's a London thing, but there was clearly attracting way more attention than just beyond like a, a normal London policy issue would do. And when we started looking at it, we could see little signals, quite big signals, that, some, that not all was right here. This wasn't a completely organic conversation. So when you say you started looking at it, what do you mean, what's it? So the conversation online, the, you could start with the hashtag, how many hashtags are discussing it? What sort of accounts are which, there? Which platforms are we talking about? The, the, the big ones like so, which, which, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, Telegram, Instagram, I mean, Reddit. But we, for this investigation, we looked at Twitter because when we do these sort of passion projects, we don't have all that much budget to put to it. So you kind of got to prioritize. Yeah, okay. And if something dodgy is happening on Twitter, although Twitter isn't like, Twitter has an outsized influence because it's not, where most people are, most people are actually on Facebook, but what happens on Twitter tends to get picked up by journalists and sort of informs our national conversation. Yeah. So if you see dodgy stuff happening on Twitter, you can be pretty sure it's going to be happening on Facebook, it's going to be happening on Reddit and elsewhere. So it punches above its weight yeah. because of the kinds of people who use it and how much influence they wield. Totally. You hear politicians, don't you, sort of almost being guided by Twitter, even though it's yeah. not real life, but they very much 
feel like what's been talked about on Twitter is is a barometer yeah, for sure. the, the the points of the moment. I think all of us who use the platform fall fall victim to that actually yeah. yes. a little bit. Yeah, I would I put my hand up because you know, then you speak know, to normal people and then like, what yeah, are you what on are you about? <laughs> but so 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 what? So you noticed it on. So you notice something happening in, with this conversation and the, the, with these hashtags. Yeah, so the kind of thing you, we notice typically when the sort of radar pings and we go, oh, that doesn't look right, is, say, accounts that are, we have a criteria, so we have a really systematic way of looking at it. But if you were just looking at it, you'd go, hang on a minute, that account was set up three days ago, has done nothing but tweet about this particular issue, carries a lot of cut and paste you know, content where maybe there's no name, there's no faces. Uh, I mean, anonymity is not a problem on Twitter as it is on Facebook, but when you notice an account doing several of those activities and being anonymous and having a fake name, then you start thinking, and then you see a lot more accounts doing it, then you start thinking, okay, all in all this adds up to quite a lot of inauthentic behavior. Whereas any one of those by themselves... Might not necessarily be, but when you put them all together in a bucket and you look at that bucket and you go, well, that doesn't look right. And and was this on both sides of the argument? I mean, how do we frame this argument? I, su- I suppose pro and anti-ULEZ would be the simplest way of breaking it down. But did this phenomenon, were you picking it up on both sides or just one side of the argument? Mostly on the anti-ULEZ. I can't think of an example where... The, all the criteria were met on pro ULES. And even the accounts that were complaining about ULES, they weren't, when they say, oh, well, look at the other side, and we see this quite a lot, they don't point to other people on Twitter doing what they do. They point to mi- mainstream media. They go, oh, well, we're just organizing because the BBC is an arm of state propaganda. Yeah. So we are anti that. They, they see themselves as actors who do this kind of activity, see themselves as a counterbalance to mainstream media mostly, not other people on Twitter doing the same thing that they're mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Just my final question before I allow Laura or even Adam a question, but <laughs> I find this so interesting. Um, I suppose before you sort of like go any further into this story, I was quite intrigued at the beginning when you said we are non-content driven or non-content specific, which kind content of implied ag- agnostic. Content agnostic is your yeah. phrase, which implied to me we're neutral. Mm-hmm. We're not taking any. We're not coming at it from yeah. a particular. That's kind of what you meant. But then you said, but twenty percent of what we do is passion driven, which kind of implied to me the opposite of that almost, that perhaps you were coming at this from a particular persuasion? Would that be a reasonable conclusion to kind of draw? Um, Well, the the passion isn't content-driven either. It's methodology-driven. So So you weren't passionate about ULEDs one way or another. You were passionate about this kind of activity. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to... I come from... My journalistic sort of training was at a wire, and Mm. wires are very, like, keen on being you know, as objective as possible. So that's kind of inculcated in my background as a journalist. And then what we do as a company as well sort of reflects part of that. So it's the passion is that we are very serious about the integrity of our information space. So we look at activity that threatens that integrity. So it wouldn't necessarily be, oh, we see somebody saying something, we don't really like it, so we're going to check them out which maybe is more of a fact-checking approach. We think these facts are dodgy, so we're going to have a look at them. It's more like, oh, we're seeing these photos and videos that look like they're generated by 
Dali or Mid Journey or some sort of AI generative thing, that's really odd. Like, why are they promoting a random company in wherever? This is just weird. Let's check it out. Mm. And um, and what you found with the ULES campaign was um, what you, I think your article on this said was one of the most advanced manipulation efforts you'd seen in nearly four years of examining activity in Africa, the Middle East and Europe. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. So there's a kind of context to this. We all these these kind of activities are global as we all know. Some countries, geographies are more closely policed than others. And by that I mean the social media platforms take activity that happens there more seriously. There's more of a media, news media that'll look at activity. And in the places where that doesn't happen, they're just not as highly prioritized. So Sudan was a great example of the place where we were looking at the at the online activity going on. Mm. Is that by IP addresses? Or how do you find people from... Oh, you just look on the location of their Twitter... We'll just, we'll just look handle. at... I mean, we'll look at the... The conversation in that locate in that place, okay. and you can search on Twitter by location. Yeah, you know, I mean you can. You don't even even have to search if you were looking. I mean, that's just the way it works. If you were really interested in, say, you were Sudanese and you were based in the UK and you want to know what's happening back in Sudan, there'll be hashtags talking about you know uh, whatever issue, and you look at that hashtag, you look at that, like you look at that account, you'll see various. You'll be become part of that conversation just from a few clicks. So we can but look you were at tracing that. an unusual amount of people in Sudan, notionally, who were very interested in London's ultra-low emission zone. It wasn't a link between that. It was the methodology. So it was back to the methodology. What happened was we've spent quite a bit of time working in Sudan, and there is a methodology that is used because there's a conflict going on, yeah. and both sides are using dodgy manipulative techniques oh, okay. right. without a right. doubt. One side is more sophisticated, mm. Propaganda. Yeah, and what they're doing is they're using accounts in a way, like mass manipulation of accounts to make their side's talking points more visible on Twitter than the other side's. That was the most sophisticated we'd seen. So not to get too technical, but essentially it means you or I or anyone looking at it as normal viewers wouldn't really notice it, but we would know that we just see one particular argument a lot. And if Twitter comes and closes that down and says oh this is dodgy let's close it down the accounts that are more visible more valuable because they've been around longer and they're not the ones likely to get closed down it'll be some low-grade accounts that they set up three days ago and are just there to kind of give legitimacy to the other accounts so we thought wow this is pretty sophisticated in london it was technically as our cto says just really sharp it was the same kind of methodology there was no sloppiness, as uh, he would say. The uh, the engineers were really on their game on that. <laughs> so, I mean, this is all fascinating. Do you want to do a Ned and so, so I understand it? I'm joking. Um, no, it's a joke. It's a joke. Um, it raises a question. I can understand why people would do this, but I also, but I can't. I can I can understand why people would pay to do this. But that bit still feels sort of a bit odd because, you know, the, the, yes, of course, there are some vested interests in this, but it's a little bit different to like fossil fuel lobby maybe doing it, I, I, you know. So is there any indication of who's been paying for this, whether this is individuals, whether this is organisers, this is companies, and whether that 
the money that's been spent that's been quoted is it's 168 uh, grand yeah so whether that's, money. whether that's on the technology or whether that's on what people would understand as kind of facebook ads and things like that to get it in front of new people like we see political parties doing during election cycles yeah so the the number was an estimate of the number of accounts that we found the, the way they were being used to amplify the talking points and they were clearly fake accounts and fake follows and fake shares and etc you can go in and buy those so when we did the um the thread we screen grabbed them and there's account you know dark web little companies that mm. will like if you look hard enough you'll mm. find something it was a twitter that. thread that you also put on your website as a kind of news blog piece yeah yeah and i think in there as well we had that screen grab of this this company and it's we're not suggesting that that particular company was a, was I mean, what they're doing is not actually allowed on the terms by the terms and conditions of social media companies but, but they're clearly you know offering something that's mm. a, not really legitimate mm. yeah. and there will be others there are others we know there are so we took the number of accounts and the, what their pricing was and said, okay, this is Basically how much took their rate card yeah, times their rate what card. you'd seen. And it's, it's a market, so they're sort of mm. about the same. That's follows, that's getting follows. And then there's another element of that is where you want to, where, where an actor might want to control 100,000 accounts, 100 accounts, well, however many. And they can get any, so you, you guys can write a post, put it on your website, and you can use a bit of software that will ping that link between hundreds, if not thousands, of Facebook, Twitter accounts or whatever. What happens then is the algorithms go, oh, this is a really popular bit of content, mm. and you get an algorithmic boost, and that stuff just ends up being on people. You, dominate, you start dominating people's timelines. There are companies that also offer that, and The Guardian had a really good investigative story about that, and that company they went in with like secret cameras and filmed this company, the people running the company, and they gave them they gave them a quote. You know, they said, "If you want us to do this, we'll do. Mm. We'll, 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 you know, whatever yeah. it was." So that's how that figure we arrived at that figure. Now, after we published the investigation, Rory Stewart on the Rest is Politics podcast. Are we allowed to mention other podcasts? <laughs> uh, yes, if they're in the league of the bigger. Rest is Politics, because okay, okay. um, right. I think we're on page one hundred and seventy-three. In the uh, <laughs> it's a joke. We're, 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 we're number one in um, we're number one in active travel and in, our in own the heads. UK. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, but, go, but go I'm, I'm sure they'll be they'll be tickled to be mentioned. So Rory Stewart said when he was talking about it, he said, "Well, you know, it's fine. I actually think this this number is an underestimation because." I, when I was running for London mayor, I had people coming to me and saying they do exactly this stuff. Mm. And they were charging hundreds of thousands a month. Yeah. So, right. you know, clearly hundreds of thousands is the area you're in if you're sure. if you're doing this kind of stuff. How much that exactly is probably mm. depends from company to company. Is it pl- um, I don't know why I'm trying to look on the sort of bright side of it, but <laughs> is it is it plausible that somebody was just very good at this, like very good at computers <laughs> and therefore because I think this 180,000, pounds figure, while it's done at a rate card, I, I'm thinking that it, people listen to this and people reading it in a newspaper might think, well, that must be sort of dirty money. Why would they want to spend that? But could it just be that the belief system of somebody was so great against ULES, which is their right to do so, and some people think it's good, some people think it's bad, that they just wanted to do this and they took it upon themselves i imagine they're in like a you know a dark room in in enfield or something and and just 
using all this kind of quite advanced tech, but it was actually their cleverness that was rather than the shadiness of money that's changing hands. And then you have to ask questions, well, why would someone... Because I feel more... No, Do you feel, think so? You're suggesting it is just an enthusiastic amateur. I feel more comfortable <laughs> thinking it's an enthusiastic amateur yeah. that's just really good at computers and really passionate really, about you. Really doesn't like you because yeah. that's their right if they don't like you. Like, is that so, possible? Could you do that? Yeah. So there's a couple of things here. If you're an enthusiastic amateur who's really sort of politically fired yeah. up by whatever yeah. issue, let's say anti for, and you sit at your kitchen table and get download. So this is where it starts veering into the not legitimate. So you can download the software, you can run a hundred thousand accounts or whatever. You can technically do all those mm. things, but that is technical manipulation. Mm. So Which is not allowed under any social media. Allowed, yeah. Is it illegal? It's not illegal because social media companies don't make our laws. Mm. But by their laws it's not allowed. So yeah. by their terms and conditions you're not meant to use mm. the platform in that way. Yeah. But and it's not for in the same like the law of the land, it's not fraudulent is there is no law against it or? there's no we don't have it at the moment any law that says you can't do this stuff the mm. onus the way the legal system deals with this whole issue is there's a lot of onus on the platforms and it's becoming yeah. increasingly more so mm. with what's happening in the so, eu so long as the message isn't breaking the law all you're doing is manipulating mm. the publishing of that message mm. effectively aren't you so if the message is within the law then yeah there's, this, no, there's no no law broken yeah, so exactly. <clears throat> so, you you know, if there's certain things that you say, like glorifying Nazis or something like that, then, you know, it's the same or as if you did or lie, or, yeah, 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 defamation. Yeah, that would fit within a legal yeah, framework. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, this whole area is, you know, if you think about it, we've had newspapers for, you know, a couple of hundred years and all these, there's precedent, there's law and things happen and how you deal with these things kind of washes out and you have a kind of established way of doing it. There's so much when it comes to social media that is still up in the air. Yeah. So social media platforms will argue legally, not to oversimplify it, but they will say essentially that they are like a notice board in a town square. <laughs> so you can't sue them if somebody yep. put up, you know, mm. something praising Nazis because that's not their view. They, like in the same way you wouldn't sue the parish church because it's notice mm. board mm. and somebody came and put something dodgy on it. Um, but other people say that's not the case. You have some responsibility. You make money out of it, for mm. example, or whatever. So, And there's no settled you know, issue on this. What we have are the terms and conditions that the social media companies themselves adhere to and have committed to publicly. The way we operate, where we operate as a company, is we don't get involved in the murky stuff around what is fact, right? Because that's subjective. It's like, you know, that we've seen that a lot with elections in the US. Well, you would say it's a lie. We don't think it's a lie. We have an alternative fact and things get... We, or same thing with incitement to hatred. Yeah. But technical manipulation of the platform, the platforms themselves are quite decisive about it. If you read their terms and conditions, it just says we don't, you know, you have hate speech, you know, like two pages. Technical manipulation, like three lines. We don't allow it, you do it, we take you down, done. Right. Right. Very, very clear. And um, these companies that are selling these services, basically, they they use sort of vaguely concealed euphemisms, I think you described them as. So they'll, they'll I don't know what the, what the terms it's are, but they're both... Uh, gross hacking is one that I quite gross like. Hacking. Gross hacking. Yeah, yeah. But, they're, but they, they're selling spreader accounts, basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, you sometimes see them and you just, sometimes, you know, then you don't have to look that far mm. in the dodgy corners of the internet. You know, you don't need a Tor browser or something to find them. You can just, you know, you can just do, the. it'll be the... You do a Google search and it's the stuff on page four or five mm. that you never get to. Yeah. But and it, yeah. Yeah. But I guess that. if it's not illegal, then they're 
they're not illegal. I mean, they're, they're sort of operating a service. If the social media companies don't like them, they can kind of kick them out. But they're not no hiding law. from the government. They're hiding from getting sued mm. by social media companies. Is there something about Twitter or X, as it's now known, that because I'm tempted going to reveal my politics probably here, but obviously, like my politics is very different to Elon Musk's politics, and. I've noticed since he took over the platform that I'm seeing more stuff in my feed that I ordinarily probably would have never seen. And then you've got the whole verified thing where you can now pay to be verified. So, and you get more visibility if you are verified. And uh, obviously that's just the market and that's their right to be, you know, if they want to get verified. But I'm starting to see way more verified accounts and way more accounts saying things that I normally wouldn't see. And not just stuff that I don't like, but, you know, stuff that I've just got also got no interest in, like it's a bad, a bad algorithmic choice. Is there any evidence that with the change in hands of the platform that stuff that maybe ordinarily might not have been seen in an echo chamber perhaps is now getting in front of more and more people just because of the way the algorithms are changing? And you could argue that's a possibly a good thing for discussion and debate, but also it lends itself to the kind of issues that we've um, we've seen in, in in spreading more misinformation much more broadly. Yeah, I think there's a few companies and think tanks, um, research teams that have looked into it and said that there is more misinformation and disinformation. I haven't seen very much on on the why. I think, and I don't think anybody said seriously said that Elon Musk just you know supercharge all this stuff that he likes that mm. maybe, you know that you maybe you don't like i think um there is though the there's some sort of practical steps that elon musk when he took over fired a lot of the people on the trust and safety committee uh, yeah. the trust safety teams yeah that has an impact on what because those guys who have a ham i mean there, i think there was a like few hundred if not a thousand odd people who were looking at trust and safety issues and if they're not there that filter's gone. So you're going to see what kind of stuff that is. Um, I, I don't know. The verification, selling verification, definitely results. I, I, I mean, I can say from what we've seen, one of the, one of those things that sort of, that, that sort of again, sent us these signals, oh, this is weird, was um, verified accounts using AI-generative pictures, visuals, mm. to mock up celebrities with some really shocking stuff like um, oh, Daniel Pope in a Pope, Pope in a puffer jacket. Well, that was more the fun stuff. That yeah. Fun but the one, same technology, yeah. but it was one, I two that stick in my head, Bear Grylls being arrested by the police for a dramatic photo saying, find out what Bear Grylls knew, click this link, verified account goes to just some advertising thing. There was another one that looked like, it was a vigil for Daniel Radcliffe as if he died, which is pretty dark. Weird. And again, verified account. So, you know, you, you change rules and then people get mm. bad actors, use them, and they try and that, that to us seems a bit clickbaity. They mm. just were trying to just make something up really cheap to set up these kind of photos and just get, you know, as many clicks as they could to their website in the hope that 1% of people buy something. Mm. Mm. So... This is probably way outside of the scope of your inquiry, but kind of we encourage us all to have a view on this, I suppose, that given what you have apparently established about the way that this particular debate 
has, has been seemingly manipulated by whoever, for whatever reason, at whatever price, on this particular platform. What do we think is the actual real-world consequence of that, given that we started this debate by saying, actually, X is a bit of a like a, a small thing that carries a bit too much weight, perhaps. But it does seem to me to have gone a bit nuts. I wouldn't have rewind a couple of months, I wouldn't have imagined for a second that the Blade Runners would exist as a <laughs> yeah. group of brave warriors who are dismantling the equipment that is supposed to there, be there to enforce ULES. Mm. That strikes me as a sort of unusually mm. uh, active consequence of this entire debate. Got so it does, it, does, yeah. it does appear, and, you know, let alone the Uxbridge by-election and then the joining of the dots in the Conservative Party subsequent mm. to the Uxbridge by-election, which you could argue has led to a, a raft of really very controversial and major policy reversals by, yeah. by Rishi Sunak, yeah. all potentially as a result of, of this debate about the emission zone. Yeah. I mean, it's huge n- ripples. Potentially. It's very hard mm. to prove, isn't it? Yeah. But it does strike me that, mm. and is that one of the reasons why you felt this was worth your time looking at this particular, this particular case? Um, this and others were worth our time because we feel that this kind of manipulation on issues of public debate will have the long-term and are having a long-term impact on the integrity of our of our, of our national decision-making mm. systems. It's what they essentially do, you were asking, what do they do, is they degrade our collective ability to look at facts and, and come to a decision as to what, what the way forward is. Ultimately, they aim, and this is why the disinformation sort of broadly, and you know the sort of academic studies will tell you this, they aim to, at their heart, take away the idea that there are some basic fundamental facts we can agree on. Great example being whether or not the Earth is round or flat. So it just removes them all. And then it becomes a lot harder because every single small thing has to be debated. Everything's questioned. Everything's mm. questioned. And then you don't, you can't say, well you know, you, you've got this fact, I've got this fact, look it up on, in the encyclopedia or, or look at the BBC. Or you can do at, your own research. Yeah, I don't trust. Yeah, you, yeah, you, I how, don't do trust you, how do you do that? So it just mm. causes gridlock in our sort of national debate, in our national decision-making systems. Wherever you are on the political platform, it becomes really difficult to enact a policy, to do anything. It just becomes, you know, from my point of view and the reason we do what we do is it just comes down to who can pay for the most sophisticated manipulation mm. capabilities. And mm. you might have seen the longer term impacts of this from the Arab Spring. I'm not sure if you've sort of kept tracks. Obviously, you, you've said that you initially saw disinformation there and that was a good 10, sort of 13 years ago. Now, I don't know if you're aware of the ripple effects. I guess it's hard to attribute, but... Um, yep. Um, you know, I think... What really struck me about the Arab Spring issue was that, uh, from an information perspective as a, as, a, as a journalist, somebody who's trained as a journalist, was that as a society in the UK, in the US, and Western Europe, North America, we tend to think that new things happen in our bit of the world and then get adopted elsewhere because those places are you know, less economically advanced or whatever. But with this kind of stuff, the systems actually are tested in faraway places and then come to America or England like... I saw this stuff happening at the Arab Spring in 2013. The Ameri- you know, the, the, it was a big moment for Twitter, that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and Facebook. But when we really started talking about it was the Trump election and yeah. Um, yeah. the investigations into Russian you know, manipulation Cambridge of the election. Analytica, yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. So if people had been watching, those methodologies were being tested 
in war zones, yeah. in you know authoritarian states, where you could get away with it if you were doing it, and then bought here. So we do keep an eye. Some of our work still involves looking at places in Africa and the Middle East, quite a bit of our work. And one of the reasons we might you know, decide to use our spare capacity to look at something over there is one, because it's an active war zone and people will be, you know, people will be suffering violence, being killed, but also because those methodologies could one day find themselves in other parts of the world. Mm. Yeah, there was um, the Philippines. The, there's a journalist, Maria Ressa, who um, has become very famous for her work over in uh, with Rappler in the Philippines. And she talked about um, active kind of online campaigns against individuals to try and kind of basically break what the work that she was doing as a journalist. And yeah, the social media um, manipulation there was very, very advanced. And I guess it's another, just another example um, of of what can happen, and then and then it gets up, up uh, taken up by other parts of the world. But it also reminds me of um, hypernormalization that that film, that quite disturbing film by um, what's his name, Adam? No. Yes, I've forgotten the name. Or, but, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, and he talks about basically this confusion that that's mm. that's created by certain actors around the world, and Russia and and Putin was one example. Just sort of building arguments around different things so people just feel bombarded and unable to basically oh. cope and to make decisions and to feel that they have any agency in their lives and in in society and just and it becomes overwhelming for people but i think i think another consequence of all of that and you, i think you you know your work has highlighted that really well is when you do get a kind of like because there are so many issues that are fighting for oxygen mm. on these platforms all the time and occasionally yeah. one of them for whatever reason, gains a lot of traction, whether that's been manipulated or otherwise, or just, you know, or actually because it is it is having an impact on people's lives. I think we should probably recognise that. ULEZ is not a perfect policy. Yeah. And there are many people who are adversely affected by it, indisputably. And it's tough. It's a tough policy for some people to sort of have to yeah, get over. Yeah, in London, yeah. Completely. I would totally go along with that. But I think I'm so struck by how it's become this flashpoint, you know, that I think the, the way in which we are informed in our thinking by these platforms, whether or not that's conscious or unconscious mm -hmm. because, it, because of the ripple effect, yeah. means that when policy goes against us, like when something is enacted by government that we don't like, we are inflamed and enraged and have to take a position. It's very hard to remain neutral. You take a position and if it's, if it's gone against you, so to speak, what we seem to be losing, and it's really important and significant loss, I think, is we are losing that sense of yeah, but this is how democracy works. You know, you, you win some, you, you lose some. Policy goes for and against you. And then every four or five years, you get a chance mm. to change, bring the other lot in. So the, the feeling that I share, and I would imagine the people who oppose ULEZ share, is that nothing feels democratic any longer. My voice is not heard. And I think that these, I think that these platforms tap into that deep fear that that you are not being listened to and that nothing and that democracy has vanished you know because you're do you see yeah no totally like, I'm, I'm i'm thinking and, and it's a powerlessness ultimately it's kind of it's yeah. an inner rage isn't it that mm. i think is very very you know that these these algorithms have found a kind of neural pathway right into the heart of that feeling and that's where the danger lies i think i guess um it links slight it well i think it links to single issues as well and that's exacerbated a lot in by-elections but maybe less so in general elections which is you know I think a good thing because I think people accept that by-elections are often anomalies or often you know yeah, quite the, specific the protest phenomenon yeah, yeah and same yeah. with referendums yeah. you know and, yeah. and, and whatever 
um, because there's a couple of things. One is the kind of dead cat strategy that politicians talk about. You, you know, give them something so shocking or something to focus on, and it ignores all the kind of long term that's managed decline of public services or whatever people would say. It gives them a short term focus, and I think that that is something we we should you know be mindful of. And reasons if you support clean air policies, I think reason one you know reason to be cheerful would be that away from the short term focus, you've got this kind of general opinion polling and general support for policies. And if you zoom out, which is hard sometimes, but if you zoom out over time, you realise actually this is not the biggest thing in their life. They're not super against it, etc. I think the and. Yeah, we've lost the ability to zoom out. Yeah, and and by-elections and stuff like that exacerbate that. And if you look at Twitter X, and I think one of the other benefits of this kind of more more familiar people come with what to look out for, you know, it's like teaching people not to to get fished online for the bank account and things like that. People realise that they don't want to be part of something like that. So if all of a sudden opinions are being shared with quite extreme individuals and, and, you know, they're, they're... justifying criminal damage in the same you know with blade runners and things like that it puts you in a in a online people like sort of they like to explain what kind of person they are online we find that in social media and in content people are looking for identifying with something and i think the less heated it becomes and it just becomes about general things people generally gravitate towards quite sensible middle of the road Mm. decisions but i think one of the Finally, one of the kind of concerns on this is because it happens over such a short period of time, by the time you read, like your report's great, but it's too late. By the time it's happened, all those democratic decisions have been been made and it's the pace that these things take hold. We've seen over the, the recent weeks with Excel bully dogs and things like that, you know, policies being made on the hoof in a week and things just being changed. So it's this Twitter storm, which is the worrying thing, and if we can slow it down a little bit and start to just have debates and talk, I mean, that just sounds like good democracy, right? But the more we do that, I'm confident the more common sense will, will prevail. One of the things that this kind of stuff does is it's designed to make a 15% position or a 10% position look like a 55, 60 yeah, right. yes, position. Yes, yes, yeah. So that's one of the reasons why we focus on taking out, when we do a full investigation we will, it, part of that, one of the steps will be, let's strip out the fake, the fakery. And where are you actually at? You know, what, where is the, what's the state of the debate? And you will find that it's 15% or 10% or 5%. Mm. Extremes tend to be, you know, unless you're in a really, you know, ex, uh, unusual scenario. And even then they tend not to be like 50, 60%. But insurgent political actors are incentivized to tell you that they are the majority. So you think about, you know, the phrases like silent majority or, you know, uh, Steve Bannon saying, I remember listening to him on a podcast and he said, hey, uh, why should we compromise whatever? We are the 60% in this country, in the US. And any polling will tell you the kind of views that he espouses are 5 to 10, 15%. So and he's probably clever enough to say, to think, you know, to be saying that while knowing that mm. his entire media operation is geared to make his position look like it's 50 60%. But what happens when journalists, political actors and others think, oh, they are 50 60%, mm. you know, we need to start thinking about that in our policy. We need to have a policy that we can get these guys behind because I need yeah. to win my next election. The Nigel Farage's. Uh, 
And maybe, yes, and, and you know, um, sort of extreme and fringe politicians and insurgent politicians, whatever pers- political persuasion, you could have politicians and journalists in, in any country thinking, well, you know, we legitimately have to, they are and they are a uh, part of this country's, mm. you know, um, mm. views. You know, we have to reflect that. But what if they're not? Yeah. You know, what, yeah. if, what if we're just not taking out the fake route? start to see, um, well, fairly... I don't know what I would have thought to be um, fringe politicians like Nigel Farage, who didn't have a great following, um, being presented on national news all the time. And it, mm. and it did seem rather bizarre at the time. I guess and the more it's discussed, the more it legitimises mm. everything. Perpetuating, yeah. You're obviously an expert in this. What can people do if if they see stuff that they? I mean, you can you can tell what these accounts are. They tend to be new, like you said. They've sometimes you can buy like three no, hundred followers. Someone was impersonating. Chris Boardman recently, yeah. and I, I notified him. Of all the people to well, person. But, you know, but, but you think now, you think, uh, that's my original thought, but you think now he's now effectively a, a government czar for active travel yeah. in a world of sort of anti-motorist mm. kind of discussion. So they just basically, yeah, they, they did Chris underscore underscore Boardman, and I nearly got caught out. But I looked at the account thinking, oh, yeah, it would have been registered August 2023. And he could it was registered it. in June 2012. Yeah. So what you can do now is you can have an old account oh, that's okay. for nothing. It's totally random. Mm. Change it to a name, wait a three days, then pay for a verified tick. It's not as simple as just looking okay. at the uh, a lot the of the ones now, that you've seen really were like maybe maybe for an individual, but yeah, a lot of the a lot of the ones that you saw were kind of newer accounts, maybe three hundred followers that they bought from somewhere. You can buy followers, and they were retweeting. I, I don't know if there's something that everyday people can do, social media users can do when they when they suspect that this stuff is happening. Yeah, it's getting harder. So when we started doing what we do in 2020, you could tell because the same text would be repeated across mm. multiple sites. Mm. And then a few months after that, whoever was doing that would do alphabetic um, alteration. So, you know, a one, an L replaced with a one and stuff like that, a couple of underscores. On the usernames? On, on text, on the entire, on like an article. But then it would be the same article on multiple accounts. So we, would, we were manually able to do it. Mm. Now, you can't really do it manually. So right. you need AI and you need, you know, tech tools to do it. Because you can get on chat GPT and before that, something like jasper.ai and you can say, you can type in, you know, four prompts, whatever uh, topic you're into, why cycling sucks, you know, in the voice of Joe Rogan, <laughs> make it funny, press go, you've got an article, press go again, you've got another yeah. article. You just keep putting that on 50, 60, yeah, 70. You can go, give me a thousand different yeah. tweets on why you les is a bad idea mm-hmm. and you'll get thousand different yeah. Slightly yeah. different tweets. Which means it's then harder impossible to... Impossible to... Almost yeah. impossible to look We on. can... So it's an arms race, and we're constantly developing new ways. So we couldn't... If we'd started what we do now, we wouldn't have had the resources to have the tech to do it. But because we started in 2020, we could still do it manually and build up our methodology. But it just, you know, it's going to get... The next is going to be generative AI and videos and all that kind of stuff. So it. So what could the question, you know, you asked was what could normal people do back in 2020 you know there was certain things we would put them on our you know social media like look for little hints of photoshopping of pictures Mm. look if this matches this that kind of stuff and you can still kind of do that but i think whatever we tell people it'll change in a month or two months so i think that i say there's a little bit of hesitation because it's a bit of a pain to do and that'll put people off but i would interrogate the sources just look to Mm -hmm. see if it makes sense Look to just do a little bit of checking like you did, you know, would Chris 
Boardman's account be you know registered? And, mm. You know, would mm. it be? And it gets harder because now it might have a blue tick. So yeah, but you do have to do that. I think if you are sufficiently invested in an issue to make sure that you are able to take a decision on that yeah. issue. The flip side of that is obviously, I think what is actually happened to most people is they just go, well, uh, just too hard and I've got things to do. Yeah, and a lot of people don't care. Like yeah. ULA's, you know, transport generally, this is the, you know, why what's happening is quite maddening is because from an electoral point of view, people just don't care. Like when you go poll voters on the things that really matter to them, it's cost of living crisis, it's the NHS, et cetera, et cetera. The things you'd expect, climate change does quite quite high. Transport's about 4%. Or something like you know. When it goes wrong, people care, but they, they, they do, don't but, think but they care in the until short term. Then. But mm-hmm. in the long, long term, they they they, they yeah. don't. Even the most you know committed of people are not going to vote on the general election based on bus franchising or or something like that. You know, it's so yeah. They, I just, people don't care, and therefore, if they don't care, they're not going to interrogate it. And then they'll say, "Oh, did you hear about this ULES thing?" And, and the amazing thing about ULES, right, is that. So many people thought they were affected. You know, there was that video of an interview of a guy in a Tesla in out of London being interviewed by the TV, and he thought he was going to have to pay ULES. Yeah, same as the inheritance tax. Yes, and that will be the same thing. Same 60% of people think they're going to be affected. 3.5% of estates pay it. Yeah, Yeah. and that's the genius if you don't look at it, if you don't care enough to look into it. Yeah. Yeah. Just close your own accounts and read a book. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I say. (laughs) Yeah. An AI-generated book. Brilliant. <laughs> Super interesting. Thank you. Thank you. For coming on. Very interesting. You've been listening to Streets Ahead. Our editor has been Claire Mansell. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate and review us and share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Bye. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.